0: Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Ayahuasca Sissi Therapy, with an old friend, Dr. Scott. Like, so nice to have you back on the podcast. Thank you for coming. And I'm just excited to dive in with a real conversation about cultural appropriation and especially in the plant medicine world especially in you know using the sacred ayahuasca and uh, i'm just really uh, excited you know to talk about this with you because you Leave, you know, in in a very exciting place, in a very exciting way that you're gonna tell us all about. And what what does what does that mean, you know, to to really embody, you know, what we are talking about here? So welcome.
1: Thanks, Nina. It's great to see you again. Uh, so I'm I'm actually living in the rainforest, uh, in Ecuador, uh, with an indigenous tribe, a Kichwa tribe. And, um, it's been just under two years now, so it's like time is, time is passing and I've been able to, um, I think really, uh, get embedded into the, this, uh, this culture. Now this culture is, um, is old as, uh, you know, as the Amazon and they've been here since before the Amazon was called the Amazon. And you know, I don't think a lot of people understand or know this, but um, there are very few plant medicine-centric indigenous communities left here in this this part of the Amazon. So the forces of modernization have really caused a lot of um, you know homogenization um, of the um, of the indigenous culture. So. In other words, the um, you know you have the national education system that is uh, schools that speak Spanish and really teach nationalistic agendas and tell the indigenous that they're backwards and they're you know they're um, uninformed and many of them are left behind. And then you have the other horses. You know you've got the industrial horses. Petroleum petroleum interests had a huge impact um on the indigenous you know they murdered so many of the indigenous they've taken their lands and their territories and luckily there is a constitution that has given the indigenous their their ancestral lands and these are sovereign nations these are independent nations now and they're really left to their um, on their own and so which means there's a lot of poverty and um so, a lot of a uh, lot of forces that are going on, and uh, you know, of course, uh, deforestation—that's a big deal. And you know, we're talking about—I think it's a hundred, hundred and seventy um, acres per minute are being destroyed in the Amazon through deforestation, and that's horrible. That's like <laughs> seventy-eight million acres a year. And with that comes all of the, uh, the, uh, the s- species and the flora and the fauna that many of these things have not even been discovered by science yet. So, you know, and with that, with the deforestation comes the, uh, the, the, the delocation of the indigenous that live in these, in these uh, jungles that are being, you know, ravaged. Actually, it's interesting. You'd think that logging was the biggest culprit in deforestation, and it's not true. It's farming, big farm, big farms. These big agricultural farms—that's what's causing most of the deforestation. So, lots going on.
0: Yes, yes, totally. I can, I can uh, imagine, and we can. That's why you know one of the big reasons that we are here to, to really. Dive into this because this is a real problem, as you said, that indigenous cultures being wiped out, or even if they are acknowledged, they start their existence from such a disadvantage, you know, that it often leads to like poverty and, and a lot of like problems and, and challenges. So, um. <clears throat> what is like cultural appropriation I had no idea so I looked up in the internet and one of the definitions that I found it said that the term cultural appropriation refers to the use of artifacts or elements of a non-dominant culture by a person from the dominant culture without reverence or respect for the source so taking intellectual property, traditional knowledge, cultural expression, so on and so forth, you know, without the culture's permission, this can include unauthorized use of another culture's dances, dress, music, language, folklore, cuisine, traditional medicine, religious symbols, etc., And it's most likely to be harmful when the source community is a minority group that has been oppressed or exploited in order, um, in in other ways, when the object of the appropriation is particularly sensitive, for example, sacred objects or medicine or, you know, cultural artifacts. So, um, you know, as I was reflecting on this, I think it's, it's really like a broad definition and, and you know, in some way, everything is a cultural appropriation from our ancestors, right? So, uh, but I, I, I understand that I think what it means to me, what they want to say with this is, is the exploitation, is the is the destruction that is caused? You know that there is no no balance in the giving and receiving. Is just like taking, taking without giving anything back. And you know, a dominant people taking from people who are minority or or poverty or in any kind of disadvantage. So, what do you think about that? Or how do you understand this whole concept? For me, it
1: was um, it became. More and more obvious um, as the ayahuasca retreat centers are, you know, opening up in the United States. Um, like for example, you know, I was with SoulQuest Quest for, you know, for a little over five years, and um, you know, we—I don't ever remember—and um, I mean honestly, I don't ever remember uh, any time that there was any kind of reciprocity towards uh, any. Uh, indigenous uh, anywhere in the world and you know we're serving um, 100 a hundred people the weekend the sacred medicine and you know at a thousand dollars a pop you do the math you know there's a lot of a lot of money that's being made off of the uh, off of the medicine that comes from from the Amazon and then when you look at uh, you know the symbols the, the use of the culture occasionally there were some uh, Taitas or some, you know, indigenous uh, shaman or medicine men or women that would be leading a ceremony. But it was really more just do a ceremony and, and present the medicine and make up your own flow of ceremony and not really with the, with the reverence and the gratitude towards those that that are the purveyors of, the original purveyors of medicine, um, not any education. So, you know, that I, I think that's, you know, I wasn't so sensitive to these issues, even way back into like, I went to the World Ayahuasca Conference in Girona, Spain in 2019. And that was really the first time that, you know, I heard on the, on the larger stage, the, you know, the, the lack of sensitivity in the West to um to the you know to the to the appropriating the culture. I think that it's important to give back um you know like for example in Peru over harvesting of ayahuasca is a big deal. I mean there's very very little large vine left and that means that they have to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the jungles to find any large vine and You know, I know that here in Ecuador at Sachawasi, we have an adoptive vine program where we're replanting. Every time there's a guest that comes to Sachawasi, you know, we replant the medicine um, for each person that drinks so that there is, you know, plenty of vine in the future. And the vine doesn't grow in the United States, for example, you know, very well, if at all. And so that's not possible. But there, I would think that with the over-harvesting, in Peru and so many people you know, are going to Peru, it's not uh, in danger in, in Colombia or in Ecuador, um, at least I hope not yet. Uh, I mean, I know it's not yet, but I hope not in the future is what I meant to say. But those are things that we need to be uh, aware of. You know, if we're in the United States using this medicine that comes from the Amazon basin and, and we're not doing anything to help um, replant, that's huge. I mean that's a huge thing, and I really think that the people that are serving the medicine need to involve the indigenous. They need to be a part of their training. They need to, you know, invite them to the ceremonies and host them. You know, I think that they should be doing the ceremonies. I mean, you know, a Gringo ceremony is not the same as an indigenous ceremony. I mean, it's it's not. I, I, you know this the intention is good. It's good, but we're looking at, like at Sachawasi, where I am, we have um, the the pure, the pure indigenous, they're, they're, they're not mestizo, they're not, you know, like most of us gringos, you know, we're like German, Italian, you know, French, you know, Spanish, you know, all these different bloodlines that have been mixed through, you know, the generations. These are pure. These people, their bloodlines are, you know, like I said, they're older than, the, you know, the Amazon. And with that, these families have passed down these, you know, secret recipes. You know, there are there are ways that they make the medicine. We get some people like our medicine at Satchawasi is is not that thick molasses type of medicine that you get. And we've had a lot of you know people that think they know what's going on in the world of this plant medicine. And they're questioning the, you know, the skill of the, we don't have shaman there at uh, Satchawasi. We have yachaks. Yachak is the Kishore word for, for shaman. And medicine, medicine, army yachak is the female, the woman shaman. And um, they're questioning their, their recipe, how they make it, you know, this sort of thing and because it's liquidy it's not this thick molasses stuff and it's like they're like what do you think you know this is how we make it you know we made it this way for you know for generations and generations and the reason why they make it that way is they have an abundance of leaves leaves and vine so they don't have to do this reduction 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 and get every ounce of You know medicine out of the vine and out of the leaf so they cook it in one you know one 12 hour day you know not three or four like a lot of people do and medicine is powerful strong and um sometimes they have a couple of little secret ingredients that they have that they don't share and the leaves and um you know i don't know if if it's if it's just um that people are are not you know not um not aware that there are different types of ayahuasca blends out there and you know there's a lot of i think there's a lot of criticism it's like really an ayahuasca cult i call it it's like this is the way it's supposed to be rather than you know let's find out the way it's supposed to be from the indigenous not from the green girl that's saying you know hey it's supposed to be this big glasses Sure. well that's
0: exactly what I wanted to ask you that question so it's great that we are here which is what is the authentic use of ayahuasca? is that an authentic use because as you said so many tribes so many different you know different countries we can say who are in the Amazon's basin and the tradition and even the newer traditions of you know the Santa Dami, Umbanda, other types of you like uh, uh, just frameworks to to approach and to work with this medicine is so diverse. So what 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 did you discover? <clears throat> is there one thing that everything come from, or it was just all people started to use it and <clears throat> develop their own way of working with it that they pass that down through their lineage.
1: Okay. Well- so help me understand your question a little better. You want to know what's unique about there?
0: No, it's more like, is there an authentic use of ayahuasca? You know, when when you say, okay, you are appropriating something, like what is that I, I'm appropriating? Is, is you tell me what is the right way? What is the authentic way? What is the indigenous way of doing this? Because the Satchawashi has their way, the Shipibos have their way. In Brazil, they have their way of doing it, you know? And it's different way, yeah, yeah. right?
1: Well, the, the, the Satchawashi way um, of doing it is, um, it's it's uh, so it's everything starts with a, a pretty intense nipia. And so they really want to make sure that, um, that you're prepared for receiving of the medicine. So it's, it's not just a little smoke cleanse, you know, with some feathers and all that. You've got the um, three Yachak uh, that are um, doing a very, very thorough cleanse prior to receiving the medicine. Um, so there is a, there is a, uh, a love, and a deep respect for Hachamama. And so the songs that they sing, the Negroes that they sing, um, are part of, you know, they, they, they bring the they bring the medicine, you know, to you after your lymphya, and you know, that's when you're you're taking in this, you know, they don't call it a sacrament, right? The sacrament is a is a, a church governmental term that was used for Legalization purposes of churches in the United States for the whatever they have to be a church to, to deliver the medicine. They don't look at it as a the sacrament in a sense. It is communing with Pachamama and so the the um, the reverence towards nature. that The ceremonies are often very silent. You don't have the speakers with the uh, playlists that are playing. You know, darpan and all, you know, all that you know, all these music playlists. It's um, very um, basic, it's very stripped down, very silent. We hear the river, we hear the the night sounds, we hear the night birds um, uh, in that regard. When someone is, um, you know, is in their, is in the work, the El Trabajo, the, the, the perching, um, you know, they will, Bring their rattles or they'll use the drums uh their instruments they will sing the ikaros uh to the uh, person as they're as they're releasing um letting go and so there's a there is a lot of uh, uh interaction with the uh with the the achaks uh, during the ceremony when you're having you know a, a rough time and um So there's also not a lot of, um, you know, rules in terms of don't touch, don't, you know, don't talk, you know, this kind of thing is, you could be in the middle of a ceremony and the Yachty's talking to, you know, one of their kids. It's like, you know, it's not like you're you're in this silent container that everyone is so concerned about preserving like you know like oh you're violating the rules I mean it's courteous you know if it's nice and quiet but it's not rigid like that it's really fluid and more um and more relaxed so um but I think that if anything it's just the, what's missing is just the the deep involvement of the of the medicine men and women the shaman and the yachas. You don't get that in the States unless you have, you know, the, I mean, these facilitators, it's all family. You know, these kids, they're, they've taken their first ayahuasca when they were in the womb. You know, when the mothers are pregnant, we've got three three pregnant mothers here at Sachawasi now, and a uh, new generation is coming. And uh, they're, you know, they have the medicine. Uh, when they're little kids, They they take the medicine as they get older, then they start sitting in ceremonies. Um, they're training the young um, as facilitators. So, there are no Westerners during a ceremony that are facilitating. It's all Indigenous. So, I mean, I think that's uh, you know, that's, a, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, I think that the ceremony is pretty stripped down. Yeah, It's pretty stripped down.
0: So um like tell tell us a little bit about well first of all I'm interested to know that this um this was one of the reasons why you changed your life and gave up everything in the United States and you went to live there because you felt very strongly this imbalance and you wanted to do something more or or that was that was like not really your your purpose (laughs)
1: For for me, um, the mission found me. I didn't seek it out. I had no intention of coming to the jungle. I had no intention of being a part of this of this movement now. Um it's kind of like by divine assignment, I found myself asking questions and and, and leading in. You know, this is uh, my one of my little god godchildren. This is uh Yutsu. And um He's uh, he's uh, he's five years old. <laughs> um, so what I found when I was when I was here was a, a community that was just devastated by the pandemic. So there was a lot of starvation. Um, people, you know, had to the men. Some of the men in the tribe had to go into town. Uh, I'm in town right now, Puyo is the nearest town, too. it's about 30, 30 um, minutes away by taxi um, in the jungle, and they had to come into town to get some work. They'd work 17 hours a day for about $5 a day, and um, and they were not allowed to go home, so they worked for two or three weeks in, in a row, uh, and they might be able to get a little bit of time off, it was horrible. So I came in right at the uh, right at the tail end of that, where there was a lot of a, a lot of poverty. Um, as I came um, and started to ask questions, I really was curious about what they needed. And Jesus is the is the president of the tribal community, and he said the first thing that they needed is water, basics, water. So. Um, We did a little exploration and like, what do you, what do you mean? What do you need? And so it's like the water that they had was coming through tiny little tubes and it wasn't everywhere. It was just in a few places and it wasn't clean. So one of the first things that I did was bring in large tubing construction, built a a water treatment facility with filtration, um, water pressure tanks, great big. reserves of water so now water they're the they're a community that has clean water drinkable pure clean water and there isn't another indigenous community probably within two or three or 400 miles from here that has that and so there are a number of indigenous people uh communities around there are 37 indigenous tribal communities in six amazonian regions with seven different type of nationalities, and you know, um, very few of them are plant medicine centric. So that was one of my one of my big aha moments, is realizing that there is not a lot of plant medicine indigenous communities left. And so, Sachahuasi, the community, there is on the verge of extinction. So if they don't make it, that is one less lineage that's gonna be lost. Making it means that they have to survive on all levels. So survival, their economy is based on cultural tourism. People coming to sit with the medicine, for example, or come to their sacred dances or their, their to be with the tribal community and see what it's like to live or to stay Uh, in bamboo huts and primitive conditions the way, you know, it's been done for for a long time. And so when that was uh, interfered with with the pandemic and the vaccine and people not being able to fly, you know, I was putting out like three or $4,000 a month just to help feed the child. And so that was uh, almost two years ago, maybe a year and nine, 10 months. And since then, um, we've done an awful lot I can say today um, the tribe is self-sufficient. They are thriving. They are um, using their own money. Um, for example, today is the one-year anniversary. Today, I'm so proud. Today is the one-year anniversary of the um, the Sanchawasi Tribal Learning Center, which uh, I had built with the help of a few friends. And you know, with this health, um, you know, nothing was ever done that wasn't discussed within the tribe first. What do you need? Like the water, what do you need? Washer and dryer, what do you need? Electricity, what do you need? We need internet, we need school, we need medicine. And so in this uh, in this period of time built the school we've had teachers, volunteer teachers that have come from Germany and Spain and Great Britain, Australia, uh, Poland, Denmark, um, United States, um, Switzerland. Uh, amazing. i so happy. And Russia. We just had wonderful, wonderful teachers. And so we also built a medical clinic, a medical clinic that have doctors. So we now have uh, uh, an MD that is our medical director who, um, you know, I have patients that come from Five or six different tribal communities in the in the region, and they will come with problems that are because of the failure of the local medical system, because they view indigenous as they as they do as as the super poor as being less than, and they don't give them the same treatment. So things like you know leaving nylon sutures in somebody's stomach for 19 years, and that indigenous person is suffering every time they lift something or run. And so our medical staff, we've had rotating doctors that come in, our medical director, we have a stocked pharmacy where we have medicines and all that kind of stuff for folks. It's all, you know, as part of preserving their culture. Okay. See, It's a part of um, preserving their culture from the medical part, we've had dentists. We've had four dentists from Germany and one from India come in and help to evaluate the, de- the, the dental condition of all of the, the community. Lots of problems there. And so when we have visitors come, they ask what can they bring? I say toothpaste and toothbrushes, flops. Yeah. And so they're taking care of their teeth. With that, we've taken many people to the doctors for problems, conditions that, have been, you know, untreated because they're afraid to go to the doctor because they don't use pain medicine. Um, They go to the dentist, they pull out teeth, they don't do maintenance. They pull out teeth without pain medicine. You know, it's horrible. So our medical medical clinic integrates um, traditional medicine with alternative medicine and indigenous medicine. So we got a whole team there. So we also have been working on sustainable food production, and so you know, built a great big chicken coop with two hundred baby chickens, and um, those chickens are now nine months old, ready to start laying about one hundred and eighty eggs a day. They uh, have encouraged um, the food sustainability project and built this huge fish pond. And so I saw this morning in the Commodore, uh what was my first view of a bucket full of um, fish that they had cultivated, grown their own in the pond, huge pond, like the size of a football field. And um, so they're feeding themselves now. Their retreats are um, about 100% full. People are coming from all over the world. Um, I'm serious, like all over. And because they're interested in having an indigenous, as close to the real deal as possible experience. And so now we're finding out that, you know, people are really coming. The tribe is making enough money to now they've outgrown the original electrical system that we upgraded this last year, now, because they're adding some casitas and, and another kitchen, they built this big, huge, wonderful kitchen. They built it. And now they have to put in a new transformer. And so with the new transformer, before that would have been for me to figure out how to pay it for it or somebody else to pay for it. They've got the money. They're paying for it for themselves. They're so proud. They're building these new casitas out of their own money. They're so proud, and they're feeding themselves and their families. They're taking them to the, to the doctors. Now, I'm not paying for it. They're doing it on their own. so that that I think, is uh, amazing. They are uh, preserving their culture at the same time that they're um, they're teaching their children uh, the ways of the of the ancestors. So that's why they leave town. They leave the communities to go into town because they can't sustain themselves. These kids are making money so that they can um, have jobs. So some of them are making money building casitas. Some of them making money preparing food. Some of them are making money cleaning the casitas after the retreat guests. Some of them make money because they're doing the tribal dances or they're taking the guests on the edge of the jungle on hikes so i'm really proud of them
0: (laughs) this is this is so amazing and so inspirational and uh, you know i'm thinking about it that that uh, you are an example for other people for sure and also this is like a drop in the ocean right and i also thinking about that a lot of times i see fundraisers and different people collecting money for some cause to help you know indigenous people do this and that and the other. and then you know, like I'm not like I'm we are not sure where the money is going or or the people <clears throat> what is the intentions and and I think that you really, like created a working model so to say and what do you think a secret is like because from what I see from the outside that that, the one of the biggest thing is like transparency that you know like you people can go there and people do go there all the time and they see what you are doing it's not that you know like you are saying something and nothing is happening you know that there is there is this kind of transparency that people can see you have you on your social media. I see you always posting about the new the chicken coop and everything that is happening. You know in the community and and what's going on. So there is a transparency. There is a accountability. You know that we can see. Okay, you know all these you know uh, efforts are going there, and all these helpful people. It's it's there is something good coming out of it, which I think, a lot of times. Either people with good intentions don't succeed doing what you're doing, or people doing it with different intentions. So... What do you think that makes it work? You know, where you are in this way that you kind of created this very, very cool sustainable model that had the power to transform within less than two years. You know, from complete poverty and and starvation into you know a little thriving hub. You know that 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 is going on there now. So yes, yeah, spill us the the, the beans. Please.
1: Well, uh, I'm a volunteer, so everything that I do is 100%, you know, free, the um, 100% of the revenues from these retreats go to the indigenous communities, Communities, so there is no green gold cut, there's nothing that's coming out, and that's what's different, you know, these guys, I don't know about you, but, you know, I grew up in, you know, in a Typical midwestern family where my father and my grandfather and my uncle and you know grandmother and everybody they they told you how to run a business you know you started off with a lemonade stand you know you you know you had a paper wrap. you had a lawn I had a I had a, all those things a lawn mowing you know business you know all those things as a kid to know how to run a business and to be you know in the in the business of business they don't. And so one of the things that that I um, shared with them was the truth about how they're being taken advantage of by other uh, gringo promoters. So someone would come in, have 17 people for a retreat, they'd make $60,000, the tribe would make $2,000. And so I would put the spreadsheets together and I would show the demonstration of here's the revenue, here's what they charge, here's the number of people, here are the costs, here's what you charge, here's what they made, here's what you made. And the first time we sat down and did that, their jaws dropped and they cried because they trusted these people. They believed that they were about their their goodness and their benefits. And so I think that that's been the, the, the key is open book transparency. So they don't have um, access to credit card service processing here. They don't. So, you know, I have uh, an account. I've opened my account with the credit card processing payment system and everything, which is 100% open. Transparency. I go over the balances with them. Everything is open book. And so if I'm not in there with the percentage, I have nothing to hide. You know, and if a if a retreat center has all these people taking their pieces out, then you know there's interests in there that are contrary maybe than to you know to the goal. So, such a wasi is about preserving the culture of the indigenous. It's not about making gringos rich, But right? and it's not they're not their retreats. You know, eight hundred. It's $875 or $975 for a, a, a seven-day retreat, right? That's a very, very good rate, all-inclusive, right? It's not $3,000. It's, it's, it's less than what you pay at um, for a weekend retreat at SoulQuest. And, you know, it, it, and we talked about it as a community in terms of them making all the decisions. So... I'm as a godfather, as a friend, as a brother, as a as an uncle, as a you know, as a relation, and they treat me like family, as I treat them like family, and there's a trust that was gained, and so that trust doesn't happen overnight, you know. We have really good friends of Sachiwasi who are stepping up. For example, we have a a, a friend of Sachiwasi who is now building a, um, a veterans program a dormitory for veterans and first responders. And so now we'll be able to, in their foundation, we'll be able to sponsor veterans and professional athletes and first responders and people that are in trauma and in trouble who need to have access to the plant medicine and will have funding available so that will assist them in coming to work with the medicine. So, you know, that's the idea. We want to be able to help people come. We also have to be able to facilitate them and house them. So this is a a new uh, building that's being built that will house, um, I think it's around six to eight women and six to eight men um, in this one uh, grand casita. And so that's that's huge. I mean, that's a wonderful gift. And so you know, this is the idea, our when our collaborators come in, they ask, what can we do? What can, how can we contribute? And so I might be the person that's helping to facilitate the first, first conversation, but we always sit down with the tribe and say, what do you want? So we had a, a, an offer Uh, come in from um from uh, a group that was from another country and their attitude and their tone and your approach was very rough and very um they they everything that they did they chiseled them down chiseled them down chiseled them down to nothing they showed them no respect and they said we want this we want this we want this and we'll pay you fifteen thousand dollars a month but that whole approach, where they were going to tell them how to live in their community and accommodate them because they're going to make them fifteen thousand dollars, you know, the community came together and had their their, you know, their meeting, and they chose not to. They chose not to, and I said, they, I, I came by and I said, "What's going on?" They said, "What do you think?" And I said, "I agree." I said, "You'll make that on your own. You don't need to be enslaved by." anybody because that's been the history so their pride is being restored there it's really about us from the outside helping to empower them i don't make choices for them i do not make choices for them i help them to inform them and say what would you like to do so i think that's the key
0: Yes, that's, that's amazing, definitely, and that obviously helps that you are living there, you know, and, and so you are part of the family, or part of the community, that's your home, you know, so that, that, that I think, you know, contributes a lot, and um, I don't, you know, I don't think that it's bad for, for people to, to train with indigenous people and get permission and serve the medicine or take the medicine somewhere, but definitely what you just mentioned this this huge imbalance of what they take out of it and what they give back or if they give back at all, I think that has to be more balanced. You know, so so what do you think? What would be a good model for for people who? You know they can obviously support communities like yours and causes that they know that legit and they can go there and check it out, and 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 uh, what what do you think that if if somebody is running retreats to, in the states and that's what they want to do when they make it like like how can they give back and what is that percentage you think that would be ethical and fair to say hey if you are making a hundred thousand dollars and you are giving two thousand to these people that is not ethical that is not fair
1: well i don't think they were giving two thousand in that example i think they gave nothing but um you know that's a that's a tough one um you know i i would I would think that the connection between those in the Amazon and those anywhere else uh, in the world that are doing the medicine would be, um, would be uh, improved by visits. I think that there needs to be people coming to the Amazon and sitting with the medicine and training with these indigenous uh, leaders uh, continuously and building bridges between the Amazon and wherever you're sitting with the medicines. So you're uh, an extension of their family. You're like, for example, on the plant medicine path. You know, we're we're working on the uh, the temple of the sacred plants. You know, this is a a global church that has a uh, re- a temple retreat in, you know, in seven different countries right now. We're working on creating this network so that when somebody is getting information about how we hold ceremony in Texas, you know, it's, it's grounded in the traditions that came from the Amazon because they trained there. They're in connection with them. And There's the guidance and the leadership of the doctrine of the plant medicine that originates from the indigenous. So for us to be more humble and to say, we don't know, we come to you to know, tell us, you know, tell us, you know, and in this temple of the sacred plants, you know, we're working on, this is a big project and we're working on standardization. So the tribes are different. You know, in Peru is different than in Mexico is different than in Ecuador is different. But there is um, an opportunity to, uh, to to be grounded in the traditions, not make up our own. Like at, at SoulQuest, you know, I was the senior minister. My job was to make it up. Make it up. You know, in order to be a church and quack like a dog, walk like a dog, and swim like a dog, it was make it up. And so mm-hmm. we did a great job of making it up. And we'd have a, you know, I remember Taita Pedro coming in, and he was uh, Taita from Putumaya Colombia. And he was supposed to be the head of the uh, church. But he, I remember him coming to me one time, pretty disappointed, because he confessed that all he was was, a, you know, like a performing clown. He did not have the respect and the position and the authority within the organization to lead it as it should be done and so that's arrogance from the organization where it's like wait a minute we don't know this stuff you put the people that know this stuff in charge these are the ones that should be leading your ceremonies the ones that are holding the spaces and though if you're a student of them then give them credit right and and include them so percentage-wise i think that's i think that's a tough question because you know in traditional churches, you tithe 10%, right? And so you wouldn't have this medicine if you didn't have the indigenous. And this medicine, there is great sacrifice that many have gone through to keep their cultures alive and, and and training, you know, their their families So this is like you know, ancient knowledge. What's that word? You know, I believe in the way the it says it in the ayahuasca manifesto, which we embrace, you know, this idea that the medicine it's supposed to leave the Amazon basin and go to all places in the world. And I support that. But it needs to be done in, I believe, in responsible ways where there is the respect for the culture from where it comes. And there is the reciprocity to those indigenous. And there is a, um, a consensus in sense where the medicine is served in traditional ways. Right? So learn how to do the EPF. Learn how to do it, learn how to do the ikaros. Learn how to make the medicine. Learn how to make the blessings. And you know, spend more time, I think, you know, every year or whatever your, your pilgrimage is to go back to your to the indigenous roots and reconnect with that source. So, or bring the or bring them to your center and and use workshops and trainings and this sort of thing so i'm a little biased thank you well you know obviously
0: you are you know but you're also talking from experience and i really love your um your your idea your approach of creating bridges and creating a network and while you were talking about it i was thinking that We should have ambassadors because you are kind of an ambassador and they need an ambassador because, as you said, just simple things that they don't have a bank account. So I want to give you a donation and, hey, I, I can't receive the money, you know, like so so they need. We, from the west people who go in there and live there like you and understand you know and can listen to them and see and and help them with these things and and also as you said we need to bring them and invite them to what we are doing you know if we are taking the medicine you know to to outside right of their context and and i i think that could definitely i can see this working out having a, a network and having ambassadors who are on the ground you know and then being in connection with with other people and i think you know that being ethical for me that's very spiritual i think ethics is a spiritual characteristic i think like if you're spiritual you're ethical that's the whole point of it you know and 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 i think ethics means to create the right relationships with everything you know with people with the earth with things and to treat others and to treat things as part of us you know that reflects that that ethos that connectedness as you were talking about with the situation and the Pachamama and the earth and the connectedness and um, and and you know if you are truly on this path and if you are working with this medicine and you understand that then then you would never exploit you know like that that because that's that's just you know that level of consciousness what you maintain so the people obviously who are gaining profit out of it or misusing or abusing or exploiting other people obviously they didn't get to that level of awareness and, and and ethics and spirituality that what they are preaching about or talking about and I think that's kind of important to understand, and uh, I really appreciate that you you are just doing it, you know, like so many people talking about it, or let's collect money, or something, but you went there, and you're just making this happen, you know, and I think that's something like super amazing, super inspirational, and anybody who listens to this podcast if you want to come on board if you want to join if you want to be an ambassador if you want to be a helper like if you want to participate if you want to go to scott's place and check it out then definitely get in touch with dr scott we're gonna share his information in the description and uh, yeah follow the good example (laughs) you know that's that's just all i can say and uh, this is something that you know, uh, can can be um, can be like a, a win-win for everybody, right? And uh, we can we can all um, like benefit, you know, from this from this. Um, like new psychedelic renaissance as they say it in the west but definitely that commercial that greedy that arrogant type of mindset and as you as you were saying you know people coming in and demanding things and ordering you know people around like that's just something that uh, we have to disobey and say no to, I think and and come up with different alternatives and come up with good examples and show people you know that it can be done differently and uh, you are one person and you, you look how much difference you made of course i know you have connections you've been involved in this for a long time you've been in the church all of that but still you know like look the difference one person can make and think about that think about that how much power you have as in an individual to make a difference so instead of just talking about things you know and reading and listening which is great like Think about what you can do, like in your life, you, you to be part of it and to bring more equality and more recognition and more, just you know, treating each other in a in a different way. And this is definitely something that we can learn from the indigenous people. And I'm sure you can testify to that, right?
1: I mean, I mean, we 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 had at at Quest, for example, sixty over sixty people that went through the Being True to You program. For integration, um, psycho-spiritual integration training. I mean, these are resources. These are all people that have great skills to help Westerners who are coming to this medicine in the Amazon. I mean, these are these are the bridges. You know, for the people that are leaning towards this plant this medicine path, it's adopting a tribe. It's like so you find you find a community somewhere. You hear about it, and maybe lean into that a little bit and ask the questions like I did. What do you need? You know, I'm so humbled. I am so humbled by the outpouring and the generosity of people who they they read a little bit ahead of time when they're coming and they see that you know that this is about preserving their culture and they ask, "What can I bring? What can I do?" And we've got some uh, some wonderful folks who have come who, when they asked, I they said, well, they, they really need things for the school, right? They need um, notebooks and they need pencils and crayons. And, and one woman uh, had purchased a wonderful, you know, cards and learning cards and, you know, educational materials that cost a lot of money and shipped them over and came up, you know, you had to pay extra for the shipping. But she went through that extra effort so it might be if you're going to a retreat center that's that's that uses or that you know has indigenous people that are facilitating ceremonies it might not be the retreat center but the indigenous that are holding the ceremony it might be finding out from them you know what they what they need because you know people may think that these shaman or these you know or medicine men are these sacred holy pious people you know they go from ceremony and they put their jeans on and they go to the to the cart and they sell their you know their souvenirs or their stuff to be able to put beans and rice on the table you know it's like these people are real people they have families they've got bills to pay they've got to make money and you know after their ceremony they might be out in the chakra they might be you know planting or doing something but they may need things. And this is, you know, it's like the mentality. It's like, do you think that they made very much money in that ceremony? They might have made, you know, a couple hundred dollars. And you might have received a life-changing experience from this individual. So, you know, you went to a Gringo somewhere, where, I don't, I don't, I use that word, I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone. I'm a green dog. But there's this idea that if there's indigenous, there's shaman, if there are people that are there, let's find out what they need. Ask them. right? Ask the the, the organizers of the retreat. How is this structured? Right? Where does this money go? Where does the family, the, usually the tribals, the, the facilitators or the the, the ceremony shaman or whatever are families, tribes, families, you know, what do they need? And let me facilitate that, you know, for just something like we had this, the gift of a washer and dryer from a wonderful friend. And this is some, these are nice big washer and dryer. They were spending six to eight hours a day in the river, washing the blankets and sheets from a retreat. You know, that's a lot of time and it can be in the wintertime, cold and rainy. And it's, these are not people that are, you know, like immune to pain and discomfort. They feel cold, just like you do. They feel knuckles burning and, you know, chapped lips and everything, just like all of us. And so it's wonderful that they, I see how the the whole tribe at Sashiwasi organizes and uses the washer and dryer between their families. And I see that one thing just like that has effects that have gone way beyond all the members of, there's only 67 members left in their tribe. That's all, right? Now we got three more coming. We had one baby last year. Uh, so it's, hopefully it's gonna grow. But I would say if you could you know, explore where you're working with the medicine, and find out, you know, what can I do to contribute, um, And Or you know, like I know that Jesus and his family, there are certain ones that I've helped them get their passports, two of them. And I wanna bring them one of these days to the United States so they can bring their tradition, their medicine to, you know, one of our, our um, temple retreats somewhere in the United States or somewhere to be able to share. But they've never been out of the Amazon. They don't know the gringo world. They don't know how we suffer from modern Western society. They see these people come. They don't know what the conditions are, the environment that creates the the great, great illness that we have in our modern world, loneliness and isolation and separation. And so that's another one of the things I wanna do is bring some of them there so they can see firsthand why it's so hard for us you know
0: totally that's like creating the bridges as you're saying that you're there and they need to come and understand as we need to go and understand what they need as you said what do you need they also it 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 would be benefit for them to understand what we need you know like because we are also where we are coming from and uh, also what something that people can do is to if you are going to a retreat or working with a medicine circle or something to ask the people how do you give back you know where is all this money going and if somebody cannot answer or do not want to answer that maybe you want to work with somebody or go to, on a retreat with people who can give you an answer and Um, you know i think uh, also if people kind of navigate to smaller places because it tends to happen that the bigger something gets the bigger the the greed and the temptation and all that you know it becomes uh, like an industry and uh, and and uh market and all of that kind of thing so i think you know smaller places definitely tend to be more authentic not necessarily you have to do your research so people you can you can just think about this and if you are listening and thinking about going on a retreat, working with this medicine, this is some of the considerations that you can do, and and that matters. You know, your choice matters, and everything has consequences, and and you can beyond your own healing, you can contribute. You know, to the upliftment of others, and you know, giving back and balancing this big equality, you know, that that we have in this world. So thank you so much for coming today. And yeah, if you wanna say a few words before you leave, like before we hang up for today, like this is the time.
1: Well, I would just say that the whole reason why I put my whole life and soul into this is because these people are pure, they're beautiful, they're kind. They're honest. The way that their families function, the way these communities function, we can learn from them. I've never seen anything like it. The way they solve problems, the way they care for each other, the way they care for the visitors that come. These are people that are heart-centered and they're pure. I love them. I just love them. Love, 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 them. These are living examples of Christ consciousness living within a tribal primitive community as they always have, teaching us the way to be. Like it's just be, there. my casita where I live is about, I don't know, uh, half a block maybe from where the next next house is, maybe a little closer. And it's a family that has nine people living in the house. And I hear sweet chatter, laughter giggles that's all day all the time it's laughter and giggles and joy and lightheartedness and then they're either that or they're playing football and the suchawasi just won their football tournament in this region so we're so proud of them but football's a big deal but they're fun fun loving people so that's why i think that they're worth preserving because they know things they know things that we can learn, benefit from. And um, they're just really special, special people. So Nina, it's so great to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. for. Uh, giving us
0: hopefully in person soon in ecuador because i'm so drawn now i really want to see and meet them you know and hug them and i mean the also the nature you showed me some pieces when we were talking like it's just it's just breathtaking you know that nature and the forest and being there so thank you for all that you do there is definitely we're going to come back with with more you know at one time and just blessings on everything and may it grow and multiply and and thrive even more and and may this be an example and a model you know for many people to follow so thank you thank you you, thank you